Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again to do another episode of the Nolcast. Before we get into it, Bud, I'll just reference uh, real quickly that this is a little bit of a non-traditional setup for us. Audio quality may suffer slightly because of it. Uh, I'm in the middle of a move, and we're just doing things that we don't normally have to do to record. So if it sounds any different, know that that'll probably be a temporary thing. And uh, if it doesn't sound any different, then good. Uh, Bud, always want to thank the good people at New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, title sponsor of the Nolcast since day one. Fantastic product, fantastic people, uh, an authentic appreciation on our part of what they've done, and an uh, authentic endorsement that we are ever so fortunate to be able to give them. Great stuff, and uh, thank you to them, as always, for making the Nolcast possible. As you all know, it's a little bit colder up there in Atlanta than it is down here in Florida, and Ingram lives up there in Atlanta, and now uh, now lives with someone else, and uh, I was asking him what temperature he uh, he keeps his heat at, and because I had to get mine worked on today, and this is kind of a little peek behind the curtain here, and he goes, "Yeah, I really like cold weather. I usually keep it on about 62 uh, before the heat kicks on." It's like, hmm, yeah, I wonder uh, wonder how how much that's going to go up now that uh, now that you and girlfriend are living together, and uh, I think I'll set the over under at about. 69 or 70 oh, yeah uh, probably in the 70s it uh i won't have my way for long so yeah uh, adjustments to be made i uh, i was encouraged to call the ac people out today uh to work on the system i didn't mind it in my office but uh uh better half thought otherwise so let's get into uh the coaching search well ingram searches for the optimal temperature and we know louisiana hot sauce is the optimal temperature for Hot sauce. I had some tonight on some collards, which was delicious. So where is FSU in the search process? Uh, two things that uh, I, I think we can say here. Number one is I believe the actual uh, search process where they're gathering info on candidates and trying to figure out who to go after, uh, I, I think that is mostly concluded. I, In fact, I think they're pretty much done with the uh, the search firm part of this. I'm not saying that they're no longer using the search firm at all, but as far as the search firm's role of finding candidates, uh, facilitating first meets and things like that, and, and doing background checks and due diligence, I, I think they're pretty much done with that element from what I understand, uh, which is encouraging uh, and, and can lend us a bit of a look in, into where they are in their timeline. Yeah, I think there's a there's an internal feeling that they have a <laughs> they have a line on what the closing you know the closing gate looks like at this point. Now, does that mean they're necessarily going to be there as quickly as some hope they are? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, there's certainly some internal optimism, but that's uh, been had previously. Uh, but I do get the feeling that the initial aspects of this have been kind of put to rest and. Uh, agree that it sounds like the function that the search firm served, not the search committee of individuals in Tallahassee, but the broader search firm uh, has probably run its course and it feels like they've uh, brought their focus to a level to which they don't necessarily need a out, outside input at this point in time. What do you think the ideal timeline for them looks like at this point? Because my guess here is that they would like to uh, gain some further clarity day after Thanksgiving, do perhaps a final face-to-face -face with a candidate or two on Sunday or perhaps uh, Monday, and have somebody named and ready to roll 
so that they can, uh, you know, be in town Wednesday, early Thursday at the latest so that they can actually host recruits on that weekend because there are only two weekends before early signing period. That would be the 6th and I believe the, what, 13th, I think, are the, are the two weekends. That, to me, that sounds like an optimal timeline for them at this point. I agree. I mean, it, it is advantageous for Florida State to, <laughs> to wrap this up as soon as possible. We'll devote some time later in the pod to addressing some of the rumors that have been floating out there. But there's nothing to be gained by having this linger uh, any longer than it has to. And if Florida State can internally – kind of wrap this up over the weekend and make an announcement Monday or Tuesday. Uh, I fully think that that is their kind of institutional want. And, and um, yeah, the, the sooner you have somebody in place, the sooner you can look at not necessarily jeopardize or not necessarily uh, keeping the class together, but keeping, you know, main components of your class together. Uh, that's, that's priority number one. And you don't want to rush a, a hire because of recruiting, uh, but if you're at a place where you think you can bring a hire uh, to light, then it is advantageous for you to do so as, as quickly as possible. I, I completely agree with that. Um, so I, I think that's what they would like to do. Obviously, if a coach you're looking at is going to be in a conference championship game, that could complicate uh, some matter on the timeline. Like you said, we will talk about that in a second. Uh, but I think what we should do right now is – is get into candidates. Uh, luckily, I don't believe there are any new candidates that we have not already discussed on the podcast. So what we'll do is we will take a candidate, we'll, we'll reference some of the things we've already said about him, and then we'll perhaps give some new thoughts or some things we've learned um, or perhaps revisit some things that might make a little more sense or might be more relevant now in light of things uh, that we have learned and the guy to start with, because there's actual been or there's actually been actionable news here, uh, in my opinion, would be Mark Stoops. So somebody we talked about uh, previously, we've mentioned him previously, and we referenced uh, in the past podcast, maybe two podcasts ago, uh, that we had pretty significant information that in was indicative of Florida State traveling to Cincinnati to meet with somebody. Uh, it certainly, when you pair some of the pieces of the news puzzle out there. Uh, sounds like that was Mark Stoops, uh, a guy who, depending on whose point of view you looked at, was either met with and deemed not a candidate or met with and took his name out of the uh, running. I don't know that Mark Stoops would have ever been Florida State's first, second, or even third choice. You know, maybe there was a situation where he was kind of a, a fallback option, if you want to use that term. But it none of this really made sense to me for either parties involved. Um, Mark Stoops, with no real clear path to the job, in my opinion, uh, and possibly jeopardizing a SEC job that he has that has a pretty favorable contract when you look at the details of it, uh, in an institution that didn't really have a burning want to hire Mark Stoops. So uh, to see him kind of make his way out of the uh, list of candidates is, is not necessarily a surprise. Yeah, and I'll give credit here to uh, to Knowles two four seven that that uh, reported that the meet uh, in Cincinnati that we had reported was actually uh, it was with Stoops, um, so they they were able to na- nail down where they met, and so that made me feel good that like another outlet also confirmed what we had been told by multiple sources that they did go to Cincinnati. Uh, you know, they had also gone to Memphis, to Destin. Uh, we were told what San Diego, Dallas, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Memphis. I think there was one more, but now I can't remember, so I don't want to just throw it out there willy-nilly. 
Uh, you're exactly right. Look, Stoops has a great contract there. Every time he wins seven games, he gets an extension of one year automatically. Every time he wins 10 games, he gets a two-year extension. The 10-game thing is unlikely to happen. Obviously, some of the issues that Stoops has, uh, part of it is Florida State very publicly uh, courted and failed uh, to land his brother, Bob, and Mark is seen as a uh, major step down, of course, and did lose games to Florida by failing to have 11 men on the field multiple times, <laughs> allowing uh, Florida to score wide open touchdowns because of it. So that's a bit of an issue in the last guy, one of the common criticisms of him, and not undeservedly, is that sometimes that Florida State did not have the right number of players on the field. Uh, so if you're him, you also have a guy in, in your in your own state, in Scott Satterfield, who's doing a very nice job at Louisville. And you don't want this out there that you're flirting uh, with another job because it could hurt you in recruiting. And it also might jeopardize some of the goodwill you have with your base. So if you're Stoops and you realize that you're probably Florida State's, what, eighth or ninth choice, potentially, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense to pull your name out. I, I, I totally agree with you. And I hope I didn't just repeat what you said. I, I think I differentiated enough. Um, so that is kind of the guy that there's reported news on uh, of late. Now, from him to another guy here who there's some reported news on, uh, we've said and other people have said that uh, Florida State has interest in James Franklin. Uh, I know it's been reported elsewhere now that uh, Franklin has interest in Florida State. And this coming from Florida State outlets, but also from non-Florida State outlets, which you would normally think lends extra credence to this. But one – and look, James Franklin – in my opinion, is probably Florida State's top choice for this job. Okay, They want a guy who's a no-doubt success, and Franklin did well at Vanderbilt. He has done extremely well at Penn State. He has shown the ability to run a large organization and run it well. I don't think there's any doubt that James Franklin would do well at Florida State. I think there's a lot of doubt about whether James Franklin would actually come to Florida State, and that is where I turn a little bit of a skeptical eye to this. So let's review the facts here. You and I are both of the belief that if USC opens and James Franklin is to leave Penn State, that he would take USC over Florida State. In fact, I think we don't have anybody in the industry who actually thinks he would take FSU over USC at this point. Now, that's assuming USC actually has the money. There's all kinds of rumors about what USC is going to do because, you know what? USC is still employing a coach in Clay Helton. Clay Helton, who went 8-4 and four this year at USC, Despite losing uh, their starting quarterback, he ended up doing 8-4 and four with a true freshman backup in uh, Keaton Slovis. Did a nice job. But I tell you what, man, like every day that, that you go by where USC has not said, hey, Clay Helton's returning, it leads people in the industry to believe that Clay Helton's not going to be there next year. Because if he's coming back, just come out and say that he's coming back. There's all kinds of rumors here going on that I think may have some may have some purpose behind them. For instance, there was a report that uh, if Clay Helton beat UCLA, that he was likely to be retained. Did you see that report over the weekend? Yeah, absolutely. Here's my thought on this. It could be true, right? In fact, I, I, my guess is that the, the reporter gathering information got it, got it honestly and reported it. Uh, but if I'm USC and I'm the AD, I want to float that out there anonymously and have it reported. I'm not saying it's where it came from, but if I was the AD, I would float that. Why? Well, because you may want to figure out where your supporters are. If you get a whole lot of blowback from those those supporters hearing that, 
on TV and on the radio and, and in print and saying, wait a second, what? No, I, I want Clay Helton gone. I'll write a check. Well, great. Now, now you're gathering information as an athletic director. You're saying, okay, hmm, so I'm going to fill out my my, uh, my little ledger here. On this side, I've got they want they want uh, they want Clay Helton gone, and on this side, we got no. no actually, we want we want Clay Helton to stay, and if you fire him, uh, we may, may pull back some donations, right? Because every coach has supporters and detractors. Certainly, um, hell, even Willie here had some people who still supported them in the end. Um, as far as financially, some clearly did not. If you're USC, it's good to take the temperature with something like that. But why haven't they come out and announced that Clay Hilton is is staying? It would certainly help him in recruiting. Right now, USC's recruiting is not too good. I think they're like 60th in the nation as of this uh, this recording. Now, if you're James Franklin, I think you're in a place right now where your recruit your own recruiting is not really going to be jeopardized by having your name floated out there too much because you've had enough success at the place to where it really didn't hurt you that bad. But damn, if you're James Franklin, you want everybody in the world to think you're serious about, about Florida State, right? You got Rutgers this weekend. That's that's a nothing game. You'll win that pretty much regardless. Think about it. If you're James Franklin and you believe that you might be USC's top target if it opens, don't you want USC thinking, we got, ooh, we got to talk about making a move right now because otherwise we might lose the opportunity to go get James Franklin. And if you're Penn State, I was going to say the concern with Frank Franklin is that it plays it plays to his benefit on both domestic and abroad to have this narrative floated out there. Absolutely, there's there's no doubt. It, it's in some ways, honestly, it's it's like like Jimbo and A and M. You know, like are you try, are you oh. trying to, are you trying to send a message to Auburn that hey, if you want me, like now's the time, and right. send a message to Florida State like hey. You want to keep me? You better do something crazy, right? Um, exactly, and send and send the message home that if you want to keep me, it's time for the lifetime, big time, fully committed contract. Uh, and that's that's why Franklin is sexy. He's a sexy candidate. He's probably the surest thing that's out there. But there is an awful large amount of risk involved uh, that you are pursuing such pursuit at the benefit of other parties. Yeah, exactly. You could get played here. And look, hey, A and M ended up getting Jimbo. Auburn did not did not get him. It didn't it didn't work out because Gus Malzahn won those games against Bama and Georgia and back to back, and the job ended up not opening. Um, it's a little bit different scenario here, and I'm not saying that Florida State cannot get James Franklin if USC does not open, uh, and perhaps if Penn State doesn't want to give him a massive extension. Maybe he says, huh, well, it's a little bit easier to get players at Florida State. I might like the administration more in, in Tallahassee than I like the one in Penn State. Although, of course, the obvious thing there is, uh, do, do you actually know who you're going to be working for for more than like 18 months? No, not really. But clearly he would be a home run hire. We've already said that. The concern continues to be uh, that you might be getting played here uh, for sure and I tell you what, I do have some concern about the lack of experience in athletics of some of the people on FSU's search committee, right? If you were somebody who's a little bit more experienced in athletics and how coaching searches go uh, than the people on FSU's committee, perhaps if you had someone who had legitimate athletic director experience uh, doing this for you, 
I might have a little more confidence in FSU's you know BS uh, detection abilities, but that's just something we're going to have to have to monitor here. Something we're going to have to monitor here. If you do think that the um, influence and hands-on involvement of the search firm is receding, I think that part of you has to expect and sure as hell hope that they have at least given you enough perspective as to where pursuing somebody like Franklin could be uh, a large amount of risk involved and potentially at your own jeopardy. Yes, you cannot be pursuing Franklin to the exclusion of other candidates. Period. Like you have got to be prepared for. Let's let's say that you end up having productive discussions with Franklin. You think you're getting somewhere, and this is something we actually will give credit for Florida State for because while they were trying to get Stoops, they were not trying to do it to the exclusion of vetting other candidates. We know that they were doing work on other candidates. In fact, we reported that like two weeks ago. My my thought is that Florida State is, is doing that here. I, I do not think they're only in on Franklin, but they do like Franklin a whole heck of a lot. And I think Franklin has some interest in Florida State. I just don't know if it's enough to leave Penn State, and I don't know if it's enough to... For instance, here's a hypothetical for you. USC has a new president, a new AD. We don't know if they're going to open. At what point do you tell James Franklin, hey, uh, we're offering you the job. You either take it or we got to move on because it's National Signing Day coming up. And like we, we, we can't wait around forever to see if if you're going to say yes and, and, and take us to prom as opposed to you know, waiting to see if your top choice USC opens up. And this is not a negative on Franklin. He, he's earned the right for this leverage with his success, right? But you, as at Florida State, the, the time for, I don't want to say ultimatums, but sort of deadlines uh, is, is more rapidly approaching than it was with, say, Bob Stoops three weeks ago because you had time to, to entertain that because nobody else was really, quote-unquote, available three weeks ago because they were all coaching ballgames. Yeah, I think... I think every day that passes, the urgency that exists for Florida State is only magnified. And we talked about this in the past podcast, where you've basically put yourself under some kind of self-imposed sanctions uh, by the fact that you've gone into two of the first three early signing day classes with a you know regime change and the uncertainty that <laughs> even even in past years, in many ways, you were kind of writing off a recruiting class when you did that. Well, you do that now. And you do that now when kids can sign as quickly as they can in December, then it's just a whole different ball game. And Florida State has to have some degree of certainty as to who they can they can bring aboard. And uh, it's only again, they they want that to take place as soon as possible. And any kind of leverage that either exists or can exist with a candidate uh, has to try to vet them, see how serious they are. And if they are serious, how quickly they can put them in position to transition into recruiting for Florida State. <laughs> a chuckle here is we're in the, the middle of recording. And this is a I mean, this is, wasn't exactly our planned ad read, but it's pretty indicative of the interest and support that our our sponsors have for the program in and of itself. Uh, Matt from Madison Social, a guy who we sing his praises all the time. Uh, both whether it be the Reuben sandwich that he brings to us on the 17th of the month or the the catering options that he makes available is, is chatting, uh, texting both of us right now about a, a rumor of a of a soon-to-be head coaching announcement tied to 
some member of the Florida State cheerleading team or something like that. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not burning you mad or anybody else, but uh, I, I've seen this rumor out there, so I thought I would just chuckle and, and share kind of here in live recording. Maybe we can have more parents of cheerleaders uh, chime in and, and tell us that they're, they're they've been told to be on high alert. It, it's almost like uh, like military being told to be put on standby. You know what Absolutely, I mean? standby. I have to go Battle, in. Uh, yep, man, man, your positions. Yeah. So the people I feel bad for are the people who have have to get the field in like perfect condition. You know, and have it all painted up for for the photo ops on short notice. Yeah. Well, they they go into their own. Uh, you know, their own standby as well from that of which I understand. But, uh, no, it's it's far from our traditional ad read, but uh, Madison Social, Matt Thompson, uh, people who <laughs> have as much of a deep love for the program as anybody out there and uh, are invested and interested in it and anybody. And if you want to go about the process of uh, supporting those who are uh, invested in the program and have the emotional investment that you do as well, uh, no better place to do that than uh, the establishments of the For the Table Restaurant Group. So let me ask you a question here, because I think we both agree that that Franklin is their top choice if they can get him. Would you wait? Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, I think institutionally Matt Campbell would be their first choice. Just just my own feedback there. I think if they okay. could, if they were doing a draft, uh, I think Matt Matt Campbell would be the first pick off the board. Hmm. Okay. See, this is good. This is why why we bring different sources to the table. I I think that they would prefer Franklin. You think they would prefer Campbell? Do you think that they would wait on Franklin if he said, "Hey, uh, I'm not going to make a decision until the eighth or the ninth. You're sacrificing one weekend of recruiting, but you're also getting a guy who's probably a guaranteed home run. If you think you're really getting him, uh, then yeah. Uh, again, that's got to be the scales of uh, the scales of, of left side, right side. Or, or you really think you're getting him, or do you just think you're providing him the leverage that he needs to uh, try to better his standing with either his current employer or future employer? I think that's fair. Now, uh, Franklin is not going to be in a conference championship game this year. Uh, next, let's go to a guy who we know Florida State has continued interest in, uh, who does not belong to a conference, so he doesn't have a conference championship game to worry about, and that is Brian Kelly. Look, Brian Kelly's a really interesting name uh, that uh, we brought up last time, and it kind of generated some some waves of broader news tied to it. Uh, I do think that the points that we brought up about if Brian Kelly's desire is to swim in the you know the deepest waters of college football and and try to pursue the ultimate championship and that a place like florida state gives you access to a talent base that you're not otherwise going to get at notre dame do i think it makes a whole lot of sense for him to leave otherwise if i'm being objective about it no not really um we'll have to see i do think that maybe there comes a point in a relationship that both parties can kind of look at each other be authentically appreciative of the opportunity and what both people have done uh, as employer employee and maybe that's the situation with notre dame i will say this if if you are a believer of the idea that there is that this process is coming to an end rather quickly and definitively and that you may have a announcement over the weekend and an immediate uh, introduction of a coach there's not too many people that fit the timeline with such a thing happening. Again, if you are a believer of it, uh, Brian Kelly's one of the names that does fit 
that that possibly being a legitimate uh, option or opportunity. Exactly. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, like you said, no conference championship game. Uh, number two, he is not someone who we believe would be considered by USC. Um, so I, like, can you really see Brian Kelly a fit there uh, out in L.A.? I'm not even sure he's an amazing fit in Tallahassee, but I think as a football coach, he's good enough to, you know, to overcome that. I mean, uh, number three, we, the word in the, like the agent industry, um, and sort of the coaching search industry for a long time was that he was likely to be to the NFL. Uh, but that ship seems to have sailed, at least as far as I know. Um, there was some thought that he might get the Green Bay job and, uh, now that is unlikely to happen. Um, obviously, that job got filled. But the trend in the NFL recently has been to go with like very young uh, offensive coordinator types. So uh, if he wants to make a move, this would seem to be a move that would make sense for him if he does want to make a move. Of course, there's no guarantee that he's going to, uh, to make a move. So look. We think Kelly would do an excellent job. Uh, the The motivation, like you said, at some point people might start to become unappreciative of winning 10 games a year at Notre Dame, which is what he does on a pretty consistent basis. Not every year, but in you know, 9-10 wins at Notre Dame against a generally pretty difficult schedule. And yet we know there are some recruits that he just can't sign due to Notre Dame's academic standards at Florida State. Uh, again, some pe- this makes people mad when we say it, but... Uh, I, I don't think there's a, a really a big time P5 school that that Florida State like can't get kids in over. So Notre Dame is clearly not the issue, or, or excuse me, not, not the reality at Notre Dame. Um, so yeah, I think he would be an excellent choice, and it's hard to see him doing a poor job in Tallahassee. Florida State's a job that it should be fairly easy to win at, uh, provided you have the right support and you're you're organized and, and that kind of stuff, and that you have recruiting experience so i think kelly would do a good job you want to move on to the uh, the next next candidate here yeah so matt campbell's the next guy uh popular name uh, with a lot of different people uh intriguing character in the sense that he himself is a, a very well documented success and also uh, look, you don't hire a head coach because you think uh, <laughs> that he may bring somebody with him. But if you are of the opinion that bringing Matt Campbell may also bring his defensive coordinator with him, then, yeah, you could make a uh, blockbuster hiring of a head coach. And you could also potentially bring a top six defensive coordinator in the game. Uh, Campbell, a younger guy, interesting background, having played at Mount Union in D3 football um, and is a really intriguing prospect to if Florida State doesn't hire him, we'll almost certainly be coaching a college football blue blood or perhaps even an NFL team within a, a year or two. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's exactly right. Um, he's a really good coach. We, we, we know he is. Obviously, some people are unimpressed with his record this year in the Big 12. I would say that uh, these concerns are basically just invalid, man. I really think that if people don't look at what you do relative to the resources available at the place and the history of the place, then they're making a mistake, right? Like you can say, oh, career record. Yeah. Guess what? If you take a job that's not very good and you end up turning it around, your career record is not going to be that good overall. That's why it's important to look at trajectory. Uh, And we had some people uh, email and say, well, that's what you guys said with Willie Taggart. 
That's right. And that's that analysis is not wrong. If you don't look at what somebody does when they get to a place and see if the place improves while they're there, uh, then you're not doing your job. I really hope that you are not running our coaching search. Uh, so, yeah, I think Matt Campbell uh, could be an excellent candidate. Now, are there concerns with Matt Campbell? Yes, there are, actually. Number one uh, would be fit. He's an Ohio guy. Obviously, Dan Mullen is a Pennsylvania guy. Uh, it's not to say that someone from up north cannot succeed in the south. However, there is sort of the opinion out there that he's pretty kind of uh, like clean as a recruiter. Leave it to Beaver on the recruiting trail. Yeah. 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 And for that reason, if they hired Matt Campbell, obviously you'd want him to keep his defensive coordinator. But I think that there would be uh, a concern, not that it couldn't be overcome, but like, let's be real honest here. If you're going to succeed recruiting the Southeast for these big time defensive linemen, you have to cheat. Okay, you're not you're, you're not getting these kids because they really like you. You're getting these kids because they really like you and you pay them. You have to have both. You can't just drop a check, and you can't just have them like you. It's both, and you have to be willing to get your hands dirty. You have to understand who the right person is that you have to know, and you have to first you have to be able to identify the person. That's very important because you have to know. Like everybody wants to get these kids on campus and, and be in their ear. You have to identify that person, which means you have to have good staff, you have to have good relationships in the community, all that kind of stuff. And then you generally have to pay that person, right? These kids don't come don't come to your summer camp. The elite kids don't for free. Okay? They don't come on unofficial visits just because you, you left them some tickets at will call. Okay? It, that, that's that's not how this works. It it is interesting that we've had like several media people say I, you know, is he a right fit for recruiting in the South? That's what that means. Just yeah. behind the yeah, curtain it's, here. That's it's, what that it's means. Absolutely what it means. And it is defensive tackles and <clears throat> offensive tackles and linemen. But I was having a conversation with uh, somebody in the recruiting industry the past couple of days. And just like they were talking to me about how much even securing a linebacker has changed over the past three or four years. So like basically – uh, Georgia has come in and like periodically in the history of soccer clubs, you'll come in and see, you'll see like a major investor come in and he's just a guy who wants to, <laughs> wants to win. And he's willing to sign ridiculous contracts to do so. And he basically resets the market, uh, value of, of getting an elite striker, midfielder, center back, whatever the position may be. That's almost what Georgia has done to the recruiting game in the Southeast recently. Uh, and it has brought everybody on board and everybody to the very realization that you have to aggressively pursue every position out there to secure elite talent. Uh, I mean, yeah, like obviously uh, Georgia is just very organized. They're, they're relentless, Ingram. They, they send lots of they text messages. They are relentless. They send a ton of text messages. A lot of text. Uh, I'm not saying Georgia is the only person out there doing this, but – the willingness and aggressiveness of Georgia paired with the traditional tendencies of Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, et cetera, has driven the market in a direction. Yeah, LSU. Have you seen Although, LSU's recruiting this year? They, they seem to have stepped up and, and gone out of state a lot. Too. I was going to say, I was exactly what I was going to say. LSU has traditionally been the you know uh, favored team of being able to buy, again, domestic resources on the cheap. Uh, but they even even LSU has decided we're going to go kind of out of market and pay premiums to uh, to secure the best roster possible. It's a it's a different era, 
and look, recruiting and college football has been, been dirty since its existence. Uh, literally, like you can read stories of Amos Alano Stag, and I just butchered that guy's name, but uh, hopefully historians of college football know what I'm talking about. In like the 18, late 1800s doing things like paying ringers to play ball and stuff like that. So the sport has a wonderful history, but uh, it's the, the market has been reset over the past two to three years uh, at the traditional positions. But even the places where traditionally you could kind of get value on the cheap has been uh, reevaluated and has been made all the more difficult to get players. That's right. Uh, and, of course, we would n- we're not saying that any of these programs are paying – Paying recruits, obviously, they're just they're, the investment within their own uh, within their own programs has increased. Just so many more yes. recruiting assistants, and uh, uh, you know, there's and all the slides, all services, and free food, and everything. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, right, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I think that would be uh, if I was FSU's admin and I hired Matt Campbell. We we know he brought, I think. Almost his entire staff, or the entire staff from Toledo uh, to Iowa State. I, I would would if I was FSU's admin, I would prefer if he uh, brought maybe a, an assistant or two who had experience in the Southeast fighting some of these bigger battles because it it is different for sure. It's even different, by the way, from the the Big Twelve. I mean. Bob Stoops, and we've said this on our show, and I know Andy Staples said it on on, on his show, uh, the, the guy for The Athletic, who's a really, really uh, accomplished reporter. He said, look, Bob Stoops doesn't want to fight these battles in the Southeast. I'm not going to put words in Andy's mouth, but I think I think we all understand what he means. Okay? So. Uh, Before we transition, and you, can we you just think, acknowledge. You think Campbell's look, the top guy, by the way. Well, I do think, again, I think if they could make a pick that uh, they would be Campbell. And and I'll just acknowledge real quickly, and I I fully believe that we were appropriate to point this out as a concern. Uh, But Campbell also played at Mount Union, which is like the D3 football factory at a level to where they win pretty much everything every year. And How did they you do can that? tell me about coaching. <laughs> you can tell me about tradition. You can tell me about whatever you want. But a football factory is a football factory. And uh, I don't think that this guy is necessarily a, a babe in the woods when it comes to what's necessary to win football games at the college level. I, I think that's that's fair. Um, it's cert- I think we can leave it at this. It's an unknown as to how he would handle it. At a major program in the southeast. Okay, so I was actually uh, we we spoke about how Matt was texting us during the show. He, he didn't know we were recording at the time, uh, but Chad was also texting me this morning. Chad, of course, of Resolution Home Loans. Uh, Chad and Shannon are an awesome group to work with. Uh, we come to you live from the Resolution Home Loan Studios. I got my mortgage through them. They're great. It's rates. It's customer service. It's knowledge, experience in the industry. Uh, it's personal testimonials like mine, but also. 40 other Nolcast listeners have now received their mortgages through Resolution Home Loans. That's incredible. 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. But Chad had texted me the the odds that uh, that shown up online, and I was like, I actually think those are, are fake. Like, I don't think you can actually bet those. Uh, but he was asking me, like, who would you bet on if you could pick from this list? And he, he said, I would be thrilled with Campbell. I said, uh, I would too. I don't think those are real odds, by the way. That's not a book you can wager at. He said, gotcha. 
who would your money be on if the bet was straight up? And I said, I really, I'm not sure. It's a great job, diminished a little bit due to a good, you know, the, the administrative situation. Uh, and obviously, you just fired your coach after only two years. Uh, I said, like, how do you know Franklin is is actually interested as opposed to playing you to get a raise or, or to get USC to open? I do think Mark Stoops realizing that they're kind of whale hunting suggests that Florida State's on the right track with somebody really good. So, yeah, a little behind the scenes there from, from the sponsors. And uh, you guys should use Resolution Home Loans. They're great. Seriously. Now, a guy who uh, who people know has recruited the Southeast before and knows how to do it, although uh, certainly need like this would be a step up in, in level for him, is Mike Norvell. We mentioned Mike Norvell a couple episodes ago. Uh, we mentioned how it was odd that he had not gotten some other jobs. Arkansas, uh, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Florida. Although Florida, obviously, with with having their AD, Scott Strickland, and have, having his connection to uh, to Dan Mullen, um, after they went and pursued Scott Frost and, and Chip Kelly and got turned down there, uh, you know, th- then I think it, it would kind of make sense that they would just turn to Mullen because Mullen had success at, at Mississippi State. And, uh, you know, whether he's a poor interview or not, um, which was kind of always the, the rumor that he wasn't a great interview, which is why he wasn't getting jobs, um, that doesn't matter if, if the, <laughs> the AD you hire has had experience with him for, you know, like six years there in, in Starkville. Uh, but we mentioned it was kind of odd that, that that he really didn't get deeper in those searches or, or land land those jobs last time. Uh, but he's done a really good job at Memphis. Obviously, he has them playing uh, for the right to go to the AAC title game uh, this weekend against Cincinnati. If they win, they will host Cincinnati the following weekend. They're I think a ten point favorite here, and uh, pretty pretty clearly been the best G five team uh, this year, even better than the Boise team, which came into Tallahassee. And beat the Seminoles. Uh, so, but there are some some lingering concerns about Norvell, but also some some positive things that, that I heard about feedback. And and uh, I think that he's a guy that they're they're vetting pretty hard in case they don't get somebody like a Franklin or a Kelly or or a Campbell. Um, the one concern that that I have heard is that he has a lack of Power Five experience. Now. This is something that I, I don't think is quite as important um, as long as you have some experience recruiting in, in the Southeast and understand how that game is played. Uh, I, th- I think that the concerns about just being a coordinator somewhere, which obviously don't apply to him, but I think those concerns, which is why you haven't heard Florida State connected to very many coordinators, are valid and make sense, especially because I don't think FSU's institutional support is that great. So I do think it's, it's valid to... Uh, want somebody who knows how to run a program and bring his own people, you know what I mean, uh, and and have already done so. But I don't necessarily think that you had to have done it at the P5 level. And we talked about this. Hey, a lot of these programs, they they overreact too much to the last guy they hired, right? If the last guy they hired didn't work out, they try to go for the opposite. Whether or not it makes sense to do so. In this case, I think Dingy Mike Norvell, for not having been a head coach at the Power 5 level, is silly. He was a Power 5 coordinator. At Arizona State, um, and he's been a successful head coach now for several years. He's done a very good job. He's shown the ability to recruit uh, at Memphis and identify talent. They've sent a lot of guys so far to the NFL or have developed into where they will be going to the NFL soon. But Ingram, here's something. Can, can you get some extra credit if a lot of the guys you hired end up going to P5 jobs in your first two three years? Have, have, have you seen this list that, that they put together? 
Uh, yeah, I think you absolutely have to give credit, and I think it's uh, it's one of the more impressive points on on Norvell's resume is the people that he's identified, the people that he's worked with, and where they've gone on to get their next uh, set of employment from. So uh, Chip Long, who he hired at Memphis, uh, now the, the Notre Dame offensive coordinator. Daryl Dickey, uh, who he hired, you know who hired him away? Jimbo Fisher at A&M. How about Danny Johnson? Jeremy Pruitt hired him away to go coach Tennessee. Dan Lanning, who Norvell hired at Memphis, got hired away by Kirby Smart to be Georgia's defensive coordinator once Mel Tucker left for Colorado. Marcus Woodson, hired away by Auburn. He's now Auburn's defensive backs coach. And then Kelly, uh, Kenny Dillingham is now the quarterback's coach at Auburn, also hired by Norvell at Memphis. So just some stuff there that I, I found interesting. Uh, and to me, that suggests that he does have an ability uh, to to evaluate and hire coaches who are later um, later believed to be good coaches and hired away. That that's something that I think is a is an important skill because you will lose coaches from time to time. In fact, I think the coach coaching hire he made this year uh, to replace his defensive coordinator has actually been pretty good. Um, and and they the guy's name is Adam was Adam Long or Adam Fuller? I think it's Adam Fuller. Uh, he came from Marshall. I've watched a couple of Memphis games this year. And Marshall or Memphis's defense has actually done a pretty good job relative to some of the talent that they have there. Um, I'm also been pretty impressed with their offense. I don't think their quarterback's actually any good, but the numbers he puts up are very good. They're kind of succeeding and scoring about a million points a game, uh, despite the fact that their QB is is really kind of inconsistent. But they do find ways to get guys pretty wide open. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's something that. If you go out with the goal of ha- getting somebody who's been a Power 5 head coach, th- that combination of, okay, you are a Power 5 coordinator, a successful G5 head coach, and you've shown the ability to churn a staff and still have a really good staff even after a lot of your first hires were picked off by Power 5 programs, I, I think that should be enough to overcome it. So. He well, also, I think as, also, uh, real quickly, I just want to point out that when you are looking at a guy like that, you you almost have to give him double points when evaluating him as a candidate, because you have to appreciate that he has the ability to identify and hire talent, and you also have to have some idea that if you were to give him a job at a place like Florida State, uh, he would have his finger on the pulse of being able to identify and hire a staff at a level that a, a lot of people might not otherwise who have been prolonged established head coaches. That's a great point. I, I, I really I agree with that. So uh, the Florida State people I talk to have come away more impressed with Norvell uh, now than I believe they were initially. Uh, but the P5 experience concern is something that, that I was told uh, remains a concern. The other concern about this, of course, is the timing. If Florida State would like to name a head coach by early to midweek, uh, then if Memphis beats Cincinnati, as they are expected to do, and look, they could crush Cincinnati. Cincinnati has been playing like crap for about a month now, especially on offense. So there's a reason Memphis is a double-digit favorite in a game over a Cincinnati team that's undefeated in, in the conference this year. And that reason is basically because Cincinnati is sort of under the radar bin and a little bit of a tailspin. Um then they're going to play again the following weekend, which means that unless Mike Norvell is going to leave his team 
before the conference title game, which I would say is unlikely because you would get a label as a real quitter on your team, then they would have an issue as far as the, as far as the timing of this, right? And an issue that I don't know if they would put up with quite as much uh, if they have the choice. Whereas with James Franklin, I think that they would, if James Franklin said, hey, I'm not going to come until the 12th, you'd say, that's not really ideal, James, but we're, we're going to be in this for the long haul with you, so we're just going to go ahead and say yes. With Norvell, the, the only way that you would do that is if you have struck out on Franklin Kelly Campbell and you think that Norvell is so much better than whoever your next candidate is on the list that you'd be willing, willing to wait. If you have, if you have options like legitimate options, and you think they're close, I don't think that you wait around for another weekend uh, for Norvell. That's that's just my take on it. Uh, assuming that you're you're comfortable as well with all the due diligence that you need to do on your candidates. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you just said there regarding uh, Norvell and kind of he's he seems to be given uh, a good amount of consideration here and seems to have checked off uh, some of the boxes that Florida State people wanted to and uh, seems to have risen in his stature as far as a legitimate candidate. Should we spend a couple uh, couple minutes discussing Odell here as well tonight? I think so, yeah. Uh, so we discussed last episode that he had been interviewed. Uh, we, we knew that there were some boosters who really liked the idea of Odell. Uh, I'm not going to say that that has waned as much, but I will say that I have not... I don't. I do not get the impression that that has spread. Okay, so I don't think that that has become, like that has not gone just from a couple isolated boosters to a large faction of the boosters wanting to support Odell uh, as as the next head coach. It, it, that I think that's the best way I can put that. I can't tell you that it's one hundred percent dead. I don't think it's likely. I do think that if you were to strike out on your like plan A and plan Bs, and you had to end up looking at like a plan C for a lot of money. I would still recommend going with Odell there because I don't think you want to uh, want to hamstring your new AD uh, whenever he comes in with a big-time buyout issue, which obviously you would be getting Odell on the cheap uh, because he is not really qualified to be your head coach. Obviously, he doesn't have any experience uh, as a coordinator or head coach anywhere else and no real experience running an organization. Uh, so I think he is... Uh, Florida State is lucky in that they have a legitimate like super fallback option that will not end up costing them a lot of money in terms of buyout if they have to go that way. Do you think he's any more than that? Um, I don't think there's been a like I don't think there's been a ton of traction on for the hiring of Odell for whatever reason, uh, and I don't know that that's you know necessarily fair, and I certainly don't think it's fair to say. Like, oh, well, if he beats Florida, well, okay, that's ridiculous. Uh, I just think that that's a, a silly kind of litmus test to put in front of somebody uh, as to whether or not you're going to give them consideration for a head coaching job. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I completely echo the sentiments that it, it doesn't feel as though the, you know, the tides are – the proverbial tides are rising on the, the idea of Odell being the next head coach. All right. You want to kill some rumors? <laughs> yeah, let's talk some rumor time here. There's uh, There's been some good ones recently. We, we got asked about a lot of these in the email. Um, sometimes a lack of information breeds disinformation, uh, certainly. So uh, how about this one? This uh, really kind of two came up quite a bit. Uh, there's a rumor that uh, Florida State had raised $33 million with their Renaissance campaign. And, Ingram, I know you got one of these letters, right, uh, that they sent you one. So uh, I, I know – at least one of those million was from you. 
<laughs> uh, but put put myself down for two. Uh, just decided to stretch the extra bit. Yeah. So the Renaissance campaign uh, has certainly become well into the, you know, the general conversation of the Florida State fan base and the coaching search and some of the rumors tied to it. Um, I believe the initial, like the first round of letters that went out were to 20 different people or somewhere in that area, 20, um, seeking a million dollars a piece. So, you know, again, is there truth to the idea uh, a couple weeks ago that Florida State was putting together a big fundraising campaign? Absolutely. Um, is it a fundraising campaign tied to the like that it began with 30 to 50 million dollars being pledged tied to it? No, not at all. I think there was a a group of 20 that they asked for a large substantial potentially seven figure plus or uh, yeah, seven figure plus amount and then subsequently it's kind of rolled out to varying degrees of boosters about a pledge or a request to either up your current level or provide a one-time gift um I will say this, Florida State has been exceptionally aggressive in pursuing uh, every degree of booster or supporter out there. And I don't just mean uh, with the letters that have gone out over the past two weeks. Uh, I can report to you that you know, friends of mine who would not be in a place to make a million-dollar-plus gift or probably even a half-million-dollar-plus gift have been reached out to and guys who kind of uh, – you know, will laugh at the idea that they're going to do that, have uh, either been asked if they could go to lunch or something else like that. And there's been a aggressive pursuit of uh, money at a level that, from a hands-on perspective, probably hasn't been there. So is that tied to a head coach? Certainly some of it is. Is it tied to the idea that they have to pay a buyout? It almost certainly is. Uh, but there has been a, a level of responsiveness and an effort to get in front of people that hasn't otherwise been there in a long, long time. And uh, we're we're pretty sure they have not raised thirty million dollars off this. Not tied to the next head coach. Yeah, almost almost certain about that. And the amount of money that's been raised towards Willie's buyout, I have heard three different figures. It is. Uh, I'm not going to put people on blast, but it is. Um, right now, it's a rather humble figure that they have raised towards that. So, um, is there money out there? Is Florida State certainly trying to see how deep the pool is to support a next head coach? Uh, yes, uh, but there's also, you know, some real challenges that lay in front of anybody when it comes to uh, financing the next round of Florida State greatness, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, they're, they're not they're not a bake sale, a car wash, and a take home box of chocolates away from uh, from, from finishing out this buyout. So. <laughs> All right. Not yet. The other one we got, which we thought was pretty hilarious, uh, is that Bob Stoops is going to stay on with the Renegades, which is his XFL team. And again, Bob Stoops stuff here. Uh, Our position on Bob Stoops has been very clear. Bob Stoops did not want the job. If Bob Stoops all of a sudden turned around and said, hey, I want the job, he's about the only candidate who could actually come in and just totally flip the process on its head at at the 11th hour. And Florida State would say, all right, cool. Nice. Press conference right now. I was going to say. Press yeah. conference at eleven eighteen at night. Boom, Bob Stoops. If you get the ability to announce Bob Stoops, you don't wait. You certainly don't wait on a draft uh, for a guy who has a million dollar contract. Uh, you yeah. pull the trigger and you announce Bob Stoops the second you can announce Bob Stoops. Can we clarify wanna, you, this, by the way? Well, um, let me just say one thing. You want to make the Renaissance campaign a hell of a lot better campaign? Announce to people that Bob Stoops is your head coach while you have those letters that you overnighted to him. Like, yeah, start writing checks now. 
We just came to a deal with Bob Stoops. There's no reason or advantageous aspect of this from any point of view from Florida State to sandbag this process and draw out the hiring of Bob Stoops. So the popular rumor that was asked about in emails and tweets, by the way, from some of y'all, and at least this is the one we'll discuss, is that Stoops is waiting around to do the draft for the XFL uh, and before he comes over to Florida State. So I did some research into this, and uh, number one, I'm pretty sure that Stoops is making about a million dollars per year at the XFL, not five million, okay? Uh, this is a spring league. I'm, I, I, I'm pretty, pretty confident in this. I, I don't think the coaches in the XFL are making anywhere close to what some people have reported or speculated that they're making. Uh, the other and the other problem with this, and, and I, I would say this because, like, okay, if you set the baseline that that is sort of the upper bound of the contract, I don't know what possible incentive he could be hitting uh, by sticking around for the draft, right? Uh, like, can you imagine and say, hey, Bob, we want you to stick around for this so you can draft these players that you're not going to coach because we know you're secretly going to go to Florida State in a week? Like, no, that, that doesn't happen. Florida State would not be cool with that. Bob Stoops would probably not be cool with that. And the XFL team would not be cool with that. But, like, the incentive would not be big enough for him to want to cash it in. Like, what, what do you think they're going to give him? A, a half a million dollar incentive on a $1 million contract? Like, that, well, that doesn't happen. Yeah. But here's I really, the whatever the theory. Yeah. And I know where you go with this, but I'll just say this real quickly. You don't wait to draft for the XFL when it comes to trying to keep together the, a recruiting class that could go a long way in determining whether or not you're going to be successful or not at your next hire. That's just, those two things are not congruent. I'm sorry. So the reason why we chose to break this one down tonight, too, is because it's hilarious because the XFL draft happened six weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) The draft was October 15th to the 16th. Um, People who create these rumors should be a little more like Google sound. Uh, The number one pick was uh, Rashard Davis. He went went from James Madison. He went to the D.C. Defenders. Then Connor Cook. Quarterback out of Michigan State went to the Houston Roughnecks. D'Angelo Yancey out of Purdue went to the New York Guardians. Uh, Dallas selected Jeff Bidet or Bidet out of Kentucky. He's a real speedster. I actually do remember him. Uh, the next pick by Dallas was Tommy Lee Lewis out of Northern Illinois. He's a receiver. Uh, and then the next pick by Dallas was, let me see here. By the way, their quarterback is Landry Jones of Oklahoma. Uh, then Dallas uh, selected. Cameron Artis Payne of Auburn, then Stacy Coley of Miami, uh, and then Sean Price of USF. Ooh, man, I'm seeing a lot of Southeastern connections here in Dallas's picks. I'm, I'm beginning to, to – oh, uh, and then Kelvin McKnight of Sanford. So another Southeastern player. Who says Bob Stoops doesn't want to recruit in the Southeast? <laughs> and then Philip Nelson out of East Carolina. I would say that East Carolina is very much the Southeast. And then uh, Lance Dunbar of North Texas. Uh Donald Parham of Stetson. Ooh, okay. Another Florida player there. Uh, Ingram, are, are you picking up this theme that I'm, I'm picking up here? I mean, this is this is pretty interesting, right? Uh, so, anyway, uh, pretty sure that rumor is, uh, is not true. Again, we cannot tell you that there's a 0% chance on Bob Stoops because we can't read his mind if he all of a sudden says, hey, I want to come back, and I'm, now I'm all, I'm all in after not being all in last week or two weeks ago, uh, then certainly Florida State would say, all right, this is great. 
but other than that, uh, yeah, we we don't think that's happening. Yeah, there there you go. There's your there's your review as far as what the landscape looks like from our perspective at this point. Uh, there is a, a seemingly a real institutional want to wrap this process up. Uh, that would give me some degree of confidence that perhaps we have done our last uh, coaching search. But uh, who knows? In the world of coaching searches, uh, things can carry on. But it would seem like as though the next uh, next podcast that we do that's not a Florida preview um, will possibly be that discussing where this search has gone and, and perhaps who it has uh, decided would be the next Florida State head coach. All right, Inger, we know the holidays can be a stressful time of year. Uh, and if after the holidays you find yourself in need of an expert in, in the field of family law, we have just the guy for you. That's Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. You can reach Travis at 850-435-9919. Why Travis? Over a decade of experience in the practice of family law, he's an expert in the field. One of only 280 board-certified family law attorneys out of more than 110,000 overall attorneys in the state of Florida, cases throughout the state. He will come to you. Again, you can contact him, 850-435-9919. Issues dividing property, divorce, alimony, child support, visitation. Maybe you have an existing order you need to enforce, visitation, modifying an order, uh, a prenup. Any of those type of questions, again, Travis Johnson, 850-435-9919. And I do not have a... uh, insider text message question from Travis Johnson uh, tonight like I got from uh, from Madison Social and, and Rezo. Uh, so we'll have to work on that for the next episode. Uh, I will say Travis is one hell of a fantasy baseball player, though. So guy knows his stuff. Okay, uh, so let's throw a Hail Mary here. We're going to take out Odell, Bob Stoops, Norvell, Campbell, Franklin, Kelly, and Mark Stoops. Let's wade into like the real speculative territory here. Let's give a name or two that we have actually heard from either somebody who's not connected to Florida State or like a single source type person, yeah. right? So clearly, like, let's dismiss the silly names. I don't think Florida State's going to hire Jack Del Rio. I'm pretty sure they talked to one of the Bowden sons, probably just out of cur- <laughs> I'm serious. Probably just out of courtesy. I know you are. I just uh, can't get over that. I can't like, get over some of the people that we've talked to uh, over the Mark Rick, process Dion. of the search. Dion, Mark Rick, Terry Bowden. Wow. Amazing. Good for them. Was it Terry or Tommy? Because now, now I'm not sure. Uh, or, or, yeah, no, I think it was Tommy. Excuse me. Terry Bowden would have been incredible, though. Uh, <laughs> Terry Bowden. <laughs> Terry Bowden. <laughs> oh, man. Terry, we saw you on the sidelines recently. It says Dabo was, you know, chewing out that kicker's ass. We did our, our, uh, yeah, just wanted wanted to circle back and see where you were in life. That's the um, Clemson assistant I want to go get. Yeah, exactly. If we're raiding Clemson, let's go get Post Akron Bowden. Uh, single source names. Uh, Kyle Whittingham's been his name's been thrown out there. Uh, Mike Leach, that's a single source name. Mike Gundy. I mean, those are three that immediately come to mind if you're looking for a real kind of wild card in this search. These are people who I think we would classify it as we think Florida State looked into. I am nowhere close to confirming that they've interviewed these people at all. 
and I'm not going to go down that road, but I think these are people that they at least looked into. At a certain point, do you say, okay, I think it becomes, like, if you run out of these names, do you go into, like, I don't know, coordinator territory and Florida State just goes back on the we don't we don't want a coordinator thing? Well, I think there comes a point where, you, you know, your next step is you either look at Odell or you look at hiring a Clemson coordinator. I think that's the next process of this search, where it goes. Uh, of those names that we just mentioned – Man, if, if Kyle Whittingham was a real candidate, that would that would be an intriguing hire and it's somebody that I would give a deeper level of consideration than maybe I thought that uh, that ever would have been associated with Florida State. So I actually did. And by the way, for those of y'all who don't know, Kyle Whittingham is the Utah coach. How old is he? Yeah, I should have made that clear. Sorry. Uh, well, no, I, I mean, I, I could have brought it up too, but I just I didn't do it. Uh, he's 60. He looks like he's like 50, though. The guy's. He looks like he's shape. about 48 years old and would whoop your rear end. Absolutely. Yeah. I would not want to fight this guy at all. I mean, he's he was uh, he was actually the uh, whack defensive player of the year in 1981 as a linebacker for, for uh, BYU. And then he played uh, for the Rams. Yeah, I would not re- really be in a in a rush to fight uh, Kyle Whittingham. I asked around today. I was like, "Hey, just just because I'm trying to circle all, all, you know, and just cover all my bases." I asked somebody. It's like, "Is there any reason why Whittingham would uh, would leave Utah?" And the only thing I got back was that sometimes Utah has a reputation for being cheap, and maybe if he just wants to. Uh, you know, see if he can get him to, to up the money, or if like if if they if he just gets frustrated frustrated with them. But I, again, uh, I highly doubt this one. And he's also playing in a conference title game, not this weekend, but the weekend after. No, there's not much that that fits here with uh, with Florida State's timetable. But it, it was an interesting name, Mike Leach. Will you know certainly catch some people's ears, and uh, and Mike Bank, or Mike Gundy's uh, a name that's been kind of periodically thrown out there with Florida State, but it would be a, a, a very, very long shot. Um, okay, guys, I think this is probably going to do it for tonight's episode. Uh, again, thank you very much to our, our Patreon supporters. Uh, may end up doing a special Patreon Q&A episode here at, at some point pretty soon. Uh, we will have the Florida preview out for you probably the day after Thanksgiving, so you have time to listen to it as you drive up to the game or as you drive uh, back home. Uh, If you are listening to us in the car, very much appreciate it, and we hope everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you get time and you're you're listening to us on your phone or you're just laying there on the couch and you're in your post-turkey coma, uh, pull us up on iTunes, and and we would appreciate a five-star review that certainly helps us stay high in the rankings and... uh, Again, we appreciate everybody sticking with us. We try to put out podcasts when we feel like we have information, and that's that's always been our goal: is to hey, when y'all when y'all see a new Nolcast pops up, it's it's going to be a good episode. It's not just going to be nonsense. So, all right, let's chat again soon.